RA Exchange. Welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Chloe Lula, the Exchange's senior producer. Today, I'm happy to welcome none other than Moritz von Oswald onto the show, an artist whose legacy as one of the pioneers of contemporary techno precedes him. Moritz's initial claim to fame was his involvement in the duo Basic Channel with Mark Ernestus, a project that formed the dub techno canon in the 90s and is still a primary reference point for many, if not most, modern producers. He was also at the helm of the famous cutting and pressing plant Dub Plates and Mastering in Berlin, which has become a home for countless artists over the years. But on this occasion, we sat down to discuss a more recent project, his LP Silencio on Trezor Records, which came out in November. Spare and considered, it's an exercise in electroacoustic composition and ambient music, and Moritz explains to me that it stems from the thread that ties all of his work together. A fascination with reducing sound to its most basic elements, exploring drama and dynamics, and broadening the capacity of what the ear can perceive to help elicit emotions that can be just as intense as what we might expect to hear from traditional music. To listen to backgrounds, this is something I was also, also telling my kids. You should always listen to what is happening in the background, or whatever it is, whatever music, and because if you dive into into voices again, then you can hear so many nuances. So I'm trying to broaden up the cap- the capacity of what the ear can can perceive. Moritz has always had a special relationship to voice and percussion, and he tells me about where this passion started, as well as his family's lifelong support of his creative pursuits. He grew up in a household that was obsessed with jazz, and he continues to be quote-unquote busy with it, he tells me, taking on projects like the Moritz von Oswald Trio, which has welcomed a rotating cast of members that have included Laurel Halo. He also has jazz and classical reworks for major labels, like Deutsche Grammophon. A fan of visual art, Moritz also dives into his love of tapestry, French film, southern Italian opera, and music from Central Asia, specifically Kyrgyzstan. But above all, we reflect on his very special way of looking at the world. One that is patient and endlessly open and conscious. He closes our interview with the reflection that everything in life has a meaning. This is only something that can be learned by listening carefully to the world around you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Without further ado, here is the one and only Moritz von Oswald. It's a pleasure to meet you, Moritz von Oswald. Thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you. So we're sitting here in the Trezor office in Kreuzberg, and you just released your album Silencio on Trezor earlier this month. By my calculations, you've had about nine releases on Trezor so far? I have no idea. I mean, not on my own. So I was part of some projects which were like... Such a long time ago, Chloe. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why I'm, you know, there were some 12 inches. So I don't know. I don't know any numbers. Well, so I want to talk about Silencio because it is quite different from other music that you've put out. It's more indebted to minimalism and electroacoustic music than some of your previous albums. And 
as the name implies, it it deals a lot with silence, repetition, and sustained notes that change shape without necessarily changing harmonic movement or rhythm. So for me, it called to mind like Steve Reich, Lamont Young. And you also include the 16-voice choir whose parts were transcribed from your original synth recordings. It seems like the thematic heart of the album is this exploration of the contrast between machine and voice, between classical and electronic. So can you tell me a little bit more about the album and how it came to be? Well, I was composing composing electronically, and then, as I said, it was transcribed by a friend of mine who was also working with me for also some projects, so I knew how he is going to was going to work and, and write it. And it was a bit rough, so I was handling audio and some like media recordings or sketches, frames. And then and he knew what to how to do it and you know he's the son of a choir leader. His mother is a is a choir leader. Or has an, her own choir, so he grew up with all this kind of sound and idea how to scale the different tones of of the of the things like soprano, bass, voice wise. So he he was just by chance just just the right one to have met a long time ago. I did one piece for for a big orchestra, and he was doing the same. But everything was like audio and MIDI. His work to combine the same as we did live with like some live vocals and then some some voices additionally from tape because the whole choir is so hard to find these days. The process I'm doing I was busy with the with the whole with the whole choir managing managing is about two years and I could have I could have done another two years additionally to to get to get any to go go any further than I already did. So it's it's quite um a mature project for my ears and for composition wise. And uh, you know the whole some of the like I would say tone blocks that the voices are managing, which is sometimes not that easy. And, you know, the complexity of them, of some structures is maybe something I really want, wanted to also to, to create, which is not only, it's not only minimalism, it's reduced. So... The word minimalism is a bit overused, I think, and reducing the whole the whole impression, musical impression of, as I say, one note, and the color of the sound of one note, which is less is more. So this is one of them, one of the key structures I'm also going with, because I think. Like one note, the same was really like keep me busy, me busy producing the whole album to find out how how far can you go 
injury reduction sometimes, you know, really like one note, like one sustain note, and then try it and try it the different the different the depth which is which one note contains. So I, I like I like this to reduce. What was the driving inspiration behind producing an album like this, going on this exploration? You know, I wanted to, as you have also noticed, I wanted to to check out how close human voices are to to synthesizer sounds, and also not from the from the electronic aspect, but also from the from the voice aspect. So how how far how close can come voices to to electronics? Which is um, quite obvious when you when they go with when you go very far with sampling, then you can s- hear how samplers are reacting to to human voices because it's it's really quite a scale of of sound of note and it's it's very interesting you know how the human voice is like um, it's so complex and so it's quite also this one is the human. It shows how human voices are quite close to electronics, not the the other way around. So I try to to find out um, how far you, because also these classes, as I said, they're really I wouldn't say tone blocks, but they are like they're complex structures of chords and notes. And it was sometimes very hard to 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 get together. Only if I have somebody who is understanding voices like like the the guy who was transcribing them. I went to the performance last week. So you mm-hmm. performed the album at St. Thomas Kirsche in Berlin. And I don't think that I've ever heard a choir sound quite like that. It did almost sound synthesized or yeah. like some kind of computer plug-in or yeah, very uncanny. It was remarkable, I think, how how church like I was playing in how it attracts people to go to this concert. I mean, the, the church was like really something, something, something else, you know. Yeah, I mean, that was it a was, very... It was really packed. It was, <laughs> I think there are, uh, Felix said there are about 900 people mm-hmm. there, which is crazy. I know. Yeah. But it's, I think also for people in club culture to have this reprieve from being in the club and to see you obviously have a huge pull, but also just being in a different context is really refreshing. And it was, yeah, it was very special. You know, it was, I didn't expect, I think it's somehow also the city of Berlin, which is like really um, very interested, says always in, it's not standing still. So this is something I really liked, always liked. There is a short documentary that was made about Mm -hmm. the production process and I find it interesting because you refer to your synths in this documentary as your children. You say they're living beings and they need life breathed into them. You say, just like human beings, they should be allowed to act. This is a child of mine. And I think some people might disagree that synths are living. So can you just talk a little bit more about this? Yeah, what what I mean is sometimes... You know the drama of of a kid who's 
which is like really sometimes I wouldn't say complaining, but mourning. You know, a synthesizer is mourning when it when it doesn't get the right treatment. Mm. Not moaning, but you know, doing some dramatic expression. And I thought at one point it's quite funny if you listen really carefully to what um, these instruments are bringing, then you you realize that it's it's not only whatever oscillate or you know the whole structure of of the electronic sound. So if you listen to to humans how they are talking and the drama and the romantic way. So I'm a person of romantic. <laughs> have you ever had children? Sure. Oh, you do have children. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sometimes I know the, of course, through this, I know the sound of how dramatic it can be. And this is why I also call some of the, of the instruments I'm using as babies. But we hear also the romantic. So sometimes, you know, there's some... There are some sounds coming out. If you treat them right as babies, like <laughs> you can start to cry. I think you know it's so like most beautiful. How many synths are in your studio currently, or is it maybe too many to count? Ah, Chloe, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I, I never, I never, I've never sit and counted them. Maybe I don't know, ten minimum. <laughs> Are you going to the studio every day? I mean, the way the way you speak about your synths and about just your relationship to not even music, but notes, like it seems that it's a very meditative practice for you. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I go into the studio night and day. You know the song? An old classic that is sung by, you know, it's a Cole Porter song. Who was doing, he was writing all the you know, the classic stuff for... It's a bit embarrassing that I mention it. <laughs> but like Frank Sinatra. Oh, that's not embarrassing. <laughs> I like Sinatra. You like him? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Night and Day is... It's a good song. <laughs> yeah. When you make music, is it always with the intention of writing an album or an EP or a project? Or is it sometimes just to engage in the act of making music? Um, it's mainly like experimentation, and this is this is what um, what I'm looking for mm. to get further and to get further in sound and further, you know, more deep, quite serious, mm. very serious. In preparation for our interview, I now feel a bit. I know I have compared your music to minimalism, which I guess it's not exactly, but. I was reading, I actually brought this book with me that I picked up in London. It's called On Minimalism, Documenting a Musical Movement. And it's this anthology of essays about minimalism and jazz and classical music. And there's an essay in it by Steve Wright called Music as a Gradual Process, which he wrote in 1968. I don't know, maybe you've read it. But he says that... While performing and listening to gradual musical processes, one can participate in a particular liberating and impersonal kind of ritual. Focusing in on the musical process makes possible that shift of attention away from he and she and you and me outwards towards it. 
I was wondering if this, because when I was listening to your performance in the church, there was some element of like, because there's nothing you're really latching onto in terms of like a theme that's changing or really dramatic dynamics. Is this something that maybe you had in mind when, when creating this? Like, were you trying to induce that kind of state in, while, while performing and, and writing or maybe I'm over-interpreting. I think steady state could be also a very good description. A steady state? Yeah, steady state. Okay. So something which is like you know, not really standing but standing and moving at the same time mm. which is like then it leads to a really deep deep, deep state yeah. I think. You mentioned to me that the artwork for the album is special and it seems that it plays on this theme of marrying the organic with the inorganic. It was done by Cyprien Gaillard, mm -hmm. who's a French filmmaker. And when I just looked at it quickly, I thought it was like a seashell. But then when you look closely, it's actually some kind of like a handle that's being, um, I guess it's, it's like a, so like it's being spun around. Can you tell me a little bit about how this came to be, what it represents? But if he came up with the idea, you know, it was so convincing because I was seeing like the like a fossil, and this is something you know I was really always attracted by. And you know these ammonites, how you call them, when they're fossil, mm. and you know they are. Um, I mean, most beautiful. And I was collecting fossils when I was really very young. And so I really said, okay, this is something I can work with. And also it's it's kind of a silence, you know, some deep in the sea. And it can, because these shells are, they're like living really down. And, uh, you know, they're also convinced because of but I'm I miss the I miss the I miss the sea always, and this is something the sound. So I said, okay, this is just the right thing. He, you know, he was creating it because he, I played him. Only I was telling him about it, and he's a good friend of us, mm -hmm. of mine. And he was listening to the choir, and I don't know. I I, thought, I know that he also liked. In his films, he was filming these small ammonites in travertine stone, and so this is what he, this is what it, where it comes from. And I like the the silence of it, and thinking about in the ground of the sea and where the, where this very silencioso, you know, like sweet spots where things are coming, you know, together, which is also the the combination between art and music. And this is what is happening in in the in the cover of, of Silencio, which is like this shell is music music for me. So it's there's something art and music. Is there other which artists are you really enjoying and do you, do you fill your apartment with? It's the the art of textile, you know, weaving. Interesting. So there's something awesome which music is doing, like weaving and you know, them coming of um, different colors, which are, I don't know if, the, if you know them, 
the word of metameric, which is um, where colors are blending into each other. It's quite a good good thing, metameric. Metameric. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. You grew up in Hamburg. Can you tell me a little bit about your childhood? What was your family like? And like, was music a part of your family life? My family was always plus to go for music, partying, and same thing, jazz, sound. And so my father was supposed to be a concert pianist. And then because of the war, it didn't come up. So there is some musical background. And I don't know how, how many of the, I don't know the period, but there was somebody who was also composing. Like, right, I have some small writings I found somewhere. And so there is some history. You went to conservatory to do orchestral percussion. So at that point were you, I'm, I'm guessing you must have been a teenager around this point? Maybe. A bit, a bit okay. older. So were you really just doing classical music or were you already experimenting with other kinds of music making? You know, the first time I was sitting behind a drum set, I knew that this is going to determine my life. You know, the, like going for drums, going for the rhythm. And this is how it went. I felt so at home and so determined to... And one, what I heard is sound. So this is what I was studying through percussion, you know, the, the depth of sound. Because it's also very close to electronic music. How spacious, also in just one drum, when you, hit, when you, when you discover the note, then it's the electronics are here. And this is what I'm, what I was, I was not studying only the percussion, but also sound. And this is what drove me to to go to electronics. It was was something like step by step. When was it that you first sat in front of a drum set? How did that happen? Through school, somewhere in, in, in the back room. Very stupid. <laughs> By <laughs> but, chance. But, that, but know, that's how it starts what, for everybody. This is what chance, chances are for. Everything, everything is meaning something in life. So when you ultimately decided that you wanted to pursue electronic music, your parents were supportive of you. True. You were in conservatory. And then at what point did you decide that you were going to move to Berlin? When the cultural life of Hamburg was not really satisfying me, then... Then I had to leave to Italy. To Italy? Mm-hmm. Oh, where, where in Italy? It was in north of Italy, so it was Milan, which I was, which I didn't. I was. It was hard to get into 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 the northern sides of Italy. So I think the the south is much better because on, I wouldn't say better, but different because of voices, you know. So when you go to the south of Italy, the, the melody of, of the language is something which is happening down there. And the voices, this is what also was very important, that opera is coming, or voice culture is coming from the south of Italy. And my teacher in, in Milan was, he was also the same thing, a sound guy. 
and then where he played in the orchestra of the Scala is an opera house, of course. So it was there was always like a like a nice circle by chance. Same thing. So you've always had a connection with the voice. Always mm -hmm. classical voice. Whenever it is appearing, then you know there's something special happening. Same thing, Chloe drama. It's always like dramatic. I know you. Well, I know you didn't necessarily want to talk about Basic Channel, but not so much. <laughs> I think maybe for listeners who might not, like younger listeners, maybe who aren't as familiar with what you do, it could be helpful to just contextualize a little bit. Would that be okay? Let's try. Okay. So you eventually you moved to Berlin, and this is when techno was really just starting, and you were part of this very pioneering duo basic channel with Mark Ernestus, who also founded Hardwax, which is right next door to us now on Trezor. So for listeners who might not be as well acquainted with what you do and the lasting legacy that you've had on techno, can you maybe just briefly talk about that project and how it started? For me, it was like also exploring how far you can, you can go with sound, rhythm, and But it was, I wouldn't say, I can say it was experimentation for hours and hours to get, to go any further and into like treating same thing, synthesizers as really as friends, not as to go something, to go to something really you have to start to manage. So it was, they were treated like friends. Very friend, good friends, and this is what we, what we try to, to we can try to come closer, to, to the to the sound of, even more even deeper deeper deeper, repetition, reducing, but it was for me it was to experiment how, how far you can reduce, the sound, together with the rhythm. And so this is what I remember. <laughs> uh, well, you took dub techno very far. And I, I would love to talk about your other musical influences as well. I think a lot of people might know you from dub techno, but you've also done so much in jazz and you know, exper more experimental music. So can you tell me about some of your musical influences beyond dub and beyond electronic music, because I know you're inspired by, uh, I want to, I use scare quotes, non-Western musical traditions, which I hate that signifier, but because they're a little bit more ambiguous in rhythm and meter. And I listened to an interview you did with Philip Sherburn, where you, you mentioned that you like music from Kyrgyzstan or mm -hmm. is it Kazakhstan? No, Kyrgyzstan. So can, can you talk a little bit about that because I, I actually don't know anything about that kind of mm -hmm. that kind of music. But Central Asia was not something I was trying to get close at that time. Otherwise um, I was called by, by the Good Institute. They were offering to to get to get very close to I would say some this is something I can refer to my also influences like to go To, to do a soundtrack with them. And the rehearsal was done funnily in a, in a theater, or like a cinema. 
not only theater, but so it really came by chance. The writing is soundtrack in a cinema. The, the Goethe Institute called, Goethe called Institute, you and yeah. asked you to write a soundtrack. Mm -hmm. No, no, to work with this, with this group. And they were really like trained musicians, these guys, playing very young, playing minimum five instruments and singing. And their voices, they were just breathtaking, amazing. You know, everybody was playing drums, flute, and singing. And a very special string instrument, which is called kumus, which is uh, also kind of a percussion instrument. Not only they were playing it, it uh, as, as a percussion. And so it's, it's very, you should, as a cellist, you should go try it out. It's called kumus. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of it. Uh, it's, it's, no, no. Soundtrack was something I could all, always go and go find. So soundtrack writing is, I think, is something beautiful. Well, you've continued to work with Kyrgyz musicians. Kyrgyz, Kyrgyz mm -hmm. musicians. A couple of years ago, you released an LP with, uh, EP. A, mm -hmm. or, you know, with a folk musician named Ardo Sakana. Ardo Sakana. Mm -hmm. And... In it, you are really deconstructing this specific kind of folk music and blending it with electronics. It's really interesting. I'd, I'd never heard anything like that before. But if you listen to this closely, you can feel, you can hear them, they're closely to, to be a soundtrack. Hmm. A soundtrack to, like an imaginary to film score? Imaginary soundtrack. Okay. There's not a movie, but you can... You can Immediately see the pictures, which are coming up. Do you usually write music with some kind of imaginary m film score in your mind? Yeah. <laughs> For Silencio, was there uh, an imaginary film that you were thinking of? Oh, clearly, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's very, very secret. Again. Yeah, I understand, yeah. But same thing, like drama, mm. romantic, hugging. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of thing. I guess I, I'd like to talk about your relationship to jazz as well. Most of what I've been following of your career in recent years has been what you've, what you've done with jazz. So what is your relationship to jazz music? It's quite um, remarkable that um, they were singing at Trezor now because we were doing, I was doing with a jazz record with Juan Atkins and you know the first the first record I did with him was kind of a jazz record improvisation, same thing again in the studio for a treasure. It was like somebody called it three m b and it's like there's a track on it jazz is the teacher, and this is um what I was going for since since home, you know because all was jazz in Am I like growing up? Oh, really? So, like at, at home, you were listening yeah, to jazz and always. Oh, okay. And so it was quite. I was always busy with jazz, music-wise. It's a really different skill set, though, playing jazz versus you know, if you've come from a classical classical music training, to be able to improvise is really difficult. I think. 
this is what I miss in classical music, you know, the, the looseness. But you can, you can do it. I was playing in an orchestra with one conductor who was always dancing to what he, he was conducting. And he wrote some jazz pieces for orchestra, you know, Leonard Bernstein. And, you know, he was, he was dancing to even a quiet piece. So this is what I was experiencing into in classical music that you can you can put it on a different level. I I love jazz and I've seen you play in the Moritz von Oswald trio a number of times, including with Laurel Halo. I think we met by chance in Portugal, and it was something. It was like a concert I had or project, which called only I played only one note for. For a cold concert. And this note was treated by an engineer who I was familiar with from Duplates. Mm. And he's also doing, he's like doing experimental stuff, Rashad. So it was, it was a nice project. And this is where I met Lauren the first time. And somehow there was, um, I wouldn't say, a nice vibration. Mm. The name tree is a bit too, I don't like the name in a way. I don't like it <laughs> because it's so, it's such a cliche. Yeah, like a jazz, you know. But still, you know, it was improvising and just let go, freedom. I think this is what, um, what Miles also did, but he was going for money too. <laughs> yeah, I, I th was thinking of Miles Davis's in a Silent Way, which came out in 1969. And I know when he wrote that, the studio sessions were spliced and rearranged into multi-track collages, which reminded me a lot of what you do with your work. I'm, I'm a bit careful with the whole subject of Miles Davis because he's such a, such a main figure in my life. So I, I, can't, I, can't get, I can't get too close to him and... I want to, you know, be very careful of what I'm saying. But then some periods are, you know, well, that really moving me. And especially the electronic phase. I'm not as familiar with that, actually. You should. Who else from the jazz world has been really inspirational for you? Some of his, of his members, of, of members of his band, mm. like Herbie, of course. And some guitar players and some horn players too, which is like, I wouldn't say. The whole band sometimes were the bass players, like some from Detroit, like one bass player from Detroit that he was using as a member called um, Michael Henderson. And he was reducing the figures, the figures of bass, so he was not, not showing off how technically what you can do, but he was like playing sometimes only one note or two, like a figure of one or two notes and just the right one. You should, you should check it out. I will, yeah. But this has obviously been the through line in, in all of your work. It's, it's interesting that you're inspired by instrumentalists who have been able to reduce what they're doing, I guess, to the point at which it's when you can still get your message across while d 
doing the least. I would consume it as less is more. Less is more. <laughs> I was actually, I, I came across this group called D, uh, I, I wrote it down. It was this German experimental collective that started when John Cage died in 1992 or 1993. And uh, yeah, it was a group of German composers who were, I guess they were minimalists. They were part of the Fluxus movement, but they wanted to carry on John Cage's practice of like using silence mm-hmm. in a meaningful way. Was that, was that a group you were a part of or knew about? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> but do you know how they were called? The Wandelweiser. Oh. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. <laughs> just curious. <laughs> <laughs> what are you working on these days? You just finished this big album, but you're obviously in the studio day day and night, so I imagine you have... Night and day. Night, <laughs> night and day. <laughs> um, so what are, what are some of your current projects? Same thing always. Experimentation, exploration, sound and listening to listen to backgrounds this is something i was also also telling my kids you should always listen to what is happening in the background of whatever it is whatever music and because also with um if you dive into into voices again then you can hear so many nuances so i'm trying to broaden up the cap- the capacity of what the ear can can perceive. In a lot of ways, I find that very antithetical to the way most people listen nowadays because what you do requires so much patience and critical attention that I think is lacking <laughs> in uh, the current landscape where everyone's just inundated with you know, with stuff online and then even music has just gotten faster. And I think in some ways with everything being digitalized, even I, I think that I fail to really like meaningfully listen to a lot of the music that I get. So it's a, yeah, you're really living and breathing this patient practice of listening. You know, I'm, I would say my, say I see myself as a respectful person. You know, to have respect for everything like the other persons are doing, the, the activity of of many things which are going on. So I respect life. Very oh. serious, Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still pay attention to techno or listen to it? I, I've seen you DJ as well, uh, although it's been a few years. So I don't know if that's also something you're still interested in. Mm, yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I have respect same, same. <laughs> for yeah for for party and for for the whole club culture i would say so it really i think it's still very interesting you know having been uh, involved with techno from the beginning in berlin what are your thoughts on how the landscape is now versus how it was when you were first here i'm not so much into than the current okay. current state. I mean, I see that there's a lot of um, also exploration happening in some projects, which I really like. And you know, I also like um, that some there's some activities in, in into going also 
like experimentation and you know also in berlin maybe to touch back on what you said about not being too crazy about techno now what what is it specifically is it the culture or the music or kind of everything no i'm interested i would say mm. i'm still interested you know i can't wait to go to heartbreaks now <laughs> <laughs> Have you been to it since it reopened? No. I haven't either. No, I need to go. Yeah. Are you uh, actively record shopping still? Sure. Oh, okay. Always. <laughs> Night and day. <laughs> <laughs> You've had an incredibly long and prolific career. What is one great lesson that you've learned, either personally or professionally, or both? Being open, being conscious about what things are, what hasn't what has a meaning? You know, the, everything has everything has a meaning in life. So this is something I really learned through my through listening. Very serious, Claudia. <laughs> 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 Always repeating. It was an enormous pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this RA Exchange with Moritz von Oswald. Many thanks to Carola Stoiber and Felix Moser, Thomas Hoffman, and the team at Trezor for helping facilitate this interview. The track playing in the outro of this episode is Silencio from Moritz von Oswald's most recent LP. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the RA Exchange and listen to our full archive of conversations on ra.co or on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. Until next time, take care. <laughs>